0: So today, uh, I want to speak on the subject of what to do when you don't know what to do. What to do when you don't know what to do. Let's pray. Father, your word addresses everything. All scripture is given by the breath of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteous living. Thank you, Lord, that when we come to your word, we are coming to your mind and to your heart. We get to know what you think, what you feel, and what you say about the various obstacles, issues, and challenges that we experience in this place called earth. Thank you not only for the written word, but above all, thank you for the living word, Jesus, who wrapped himself up into human flesh and came and modeled for us what it means to be a son of God. Thank you that we are following Jesus, that we are his disciples. He is our savior, he is our Lord. Thank you for that. And Jesus, thank you for your admonishment that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free Lord many of us deal with all kinds of bondages some of it comes from ignorance of how the world works but above all how the spiritual realm works but we've come into the strong tower today that you would help us wage a good warfare to give us knowledge that will transform how we live how we serve how we conduct ourselves thank you Holy Spirit that we don't have to do this alone I don't have to preach by myself and your people don't have to hear the word by themselves and we surely don't have to apply it by ourselves you will be the one who will communicate the truth you will be the one who will teach us the truth and you'll be the one who will give us the desire and the ability to live it out so Lord may this word not fall on deaf ears today may our hearts be receptive thank you Lord In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. What to do when you don't know what to do. In Luke chapter 17, we're in Luke 18, but in Luke 17, Jesus warned his disciples that offenses will come. Luke 17, verse 1, he said, Offenses will come, but woe to the man or the woman through whom those offenses come. He said that the offenses, afflictions, and persecutions are coming. Between the time of his first coming and his second coming, he warns that his disciples then and now would go through intense trials and tribulations. So between his first coming and his second coming, he said that his people would go through trials and tribulations. And according to Jesus, things will get real bad before they become real good. Things are going to get real bad before they become a whole lot better. So in a real sense, strong tower, we are in The meantime, the meantime. The rap group Houdini used to say, in the meantime and in between times, you rock your thing and I'll rock mine. And so the meantime, and and how many of you know that the meantime can be a mean time? We're in the meantime. Between his first and second coming, We cry out with the Corinthian church, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. We cry out with the believers who were lining the streets when Jesus came into Jerusalem triumphantly saying, Hosanna, which means save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we are saying, come, Lord Jesus, so that the government will be on your shoulders. But right now we're in the meantime. And the meantime can be a mean time. Jesus said that during this meantime, the love of many will grow cold because lawlessness will abound. In the meantime, Paul said that people would be brutal and despisers of good. He even went on to say that these same people have a form of godliness but they deny the power. I'm talking about the meantime. That is a mean time. And then the apostle Peter came along and he said that in the meantime, which is a mean time, we would all suffer for a while. You can't get out of this place without suffering. So we come to Luke chapter 18, where we see that to make it through the mean time that will occur before Christ returns, Jesus gives us the antidote on how to make it. And the antidote on how to make it through these tough times, these perilous times, this time of tribulation is through prayer, through prayer. Now, we're about to embark on a series this summer about the prayers of the righteous. And that we don't want to think that, Prayer is outdated or it's something that you only rely on when you're in trouble. But prayer is so much more than that. And prayer is so much more than talking to God. Prayer is also listening to God, which means we need to be still and keep our mouth shut. Because how can we be led by the Holy Spirit if we're doing all of the talking? Sometimes we need to keep our mouths shut. And when we pray, we just need to be quiet and God will show us how to pray. Prayer is a powerful thing, which is why the spirit is willing, Jesus told the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. As they were sleeping and falling asleep, he said that the spirit is willing. The spirit wants to pray, but the flesh is weak. Galatians 5 says that the flesh is always combating against the spirit so that you do not do the things that you want to do. What I want to do is pray, but my flesh wants to go to sleep. My flesh wants to do something else. But Jesus is going to talk to us about the importance and the priority of prayer. Because when we pray great prayers to a great God, great things are bound to happen. So Jesus says the way you get through in the meantime, which can be a meantime, is through prayer. We should pray and not lose heart as we'll see today in the scripture. In other words, we shouldn't faint or give up. In this meantime, we should pray whenever we feel like giving up. Matter of fact, that's the best time to pray. When you feel like giving up, that's when you should start looking up. So what should we do when we don't know what to do in these tough times where the news can be discouraging, where the news can be discombobulating to our minds and it can mess with our peace? What do we do? We pray. I wish I had more for you, but really, that's enough because James chapter 5, verse 13 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him get on the phone and call all of his friends. (laughs) Let her just complain on on and on. No, 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 get on Facebook and dump all your business on Facebook. Some people are gonna to turn to a bottle, some people are gonna to turn to weed, some people are gonna to turn to this or to that. But James says, if any of you are suffering, let him pray, let him pray. So in this passage, following his comments about the meantime in chapter 17, Jesus tells a parable of the persistent prayers of a widow. Jesus uplifts and promotes a person in one of his sermons that is looked down upon in scripture, or rather uh, uh, in the culture. Last week when we talked about the first church, there was discrimination and neglect happening in the first church where there were certain widows who didn't get taken care of because they were of another culture. They were Hellenists and they named their children with Greek names, and they may not have known the Hebrew language, they only knew Greek, and so there were some people in the church, the first church, the great church, but it still was full of fallen people who discriminated against the widows and didn't feed them the way that they should. So this is a very practical word, a very real word, because many times in our day and age, we overlook the widows, we overlook the elderly, we overlook those who need community, and who needs support. So Jesus says, I'm going to teach y'all how to pray by talking to you about a praying widow. Then he goes on in chapter 18 to reinforce his point about prayer by telling a parable of a humble praying tax collector who finds mercy. He also touches and blesses the children in chapter 18. And when you touch and bless the children, you're speaking a prayer over them. So he's emphasizing prayer after he comes out of chapter 17, talking about The final days, he says, uh, just as when Noah went into the ark, people were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. But then the rain of judgment came. He said, just like in the days of Lot, people were minding their business. But then the fire of brimstone came. And so right before Jesus returns, there will be unprecedented judgment. There will be wickedness. There will be evil, so he encourages us to pray because in chapter 18, he answers the prayers of a blind beggar on the roadside. He's trying to teach us what's most important, and it's prayer. When the blind beggar heard that Jesus was passing by, he raised his voice and said, Master, son of David, have mercy on me. He had the kind of volume in his pipes like Brother Randall has in his. Lord Jesus! Because sometimes you got to be loud. It's not that God is hard of hearing. I just need to say my stuff loud. Because that's just how I feel. But then some of the ushers came over and told the blind beggar, "Uh, uh, keep that down, please. Uh, uh, There's no need to be all unsophisticated like that. Blind beggar was like, look, even if I could see you, mm, no, 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 no. Jesus! And what did Jesus do? He came over To the man, they brought the man to him. Jesus interacted with the man and it was prayer that changed that man's life. All of these stories and episodes emphasize the power and productivity of prayer in the mean time. Are you hurting right now? It's time to pray. Are you struggling? Are you tempted to quit? It's time to pray. And God will fill you with strength. Because if life can get you to give up on prayer, the devil has won. Because to give up on prayer is to give up on God. If life can get you to give up on prayer, the devil has won. Because the devil has gotten you to give up on God. But I like how Dietrich Haddon says it, uh, don't give up on God. Because he won't, he has not given up on you. This is why the parable in Luke 18 is critical. As you recall, a parable is a simple story with a central or simple meaning. In this parable, we learn, here it is, that persistent prayer brings about God's deliverance in times of testing and injustice. Persistent prayer. I know some Christians who are under a false belief. They say, you know what, my faith is so strong that all I got to do is pray one time and I don't need to pray about it no more. That might just mean you're lazy and don't want to pray about it more. Because when Jesus says, "Ask and it will be given; knock and the door will be open; uh, seek and you shall find," those verbs are in the present tense, which means to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. And so, in this passage, this woman is going to keep on going before the judge. Jesus is going to use her as an example to not give up in prayer, especially when we pray and we don't see it manifest the same day or the next day. Right. Jesus says, Keep on praying. Right. Keep on. Because a lot of times what will happen is, as we're asking God to do something, asking God to do something, asking God to do something, after a while, the prayer request will change. Because rather than asking Him to do something for me, You start asking him to do something in you, whether you get the thing you've been asking for or not. So it's not the thing, it's what he wants to do in you. And he knows if he gives you the thing too fast, he's going to not be able to develop some stuff in you. So he allows the trial to go on so that we can be transformed in the midst of it. So prayer changes things, but it also changes us. You can't spend all that time with God and God not rub off on you. You ever hug somebody that's got on a lot of perfume or cologne? You hug them. Maybe it happened today during the greeting time. You hug them. Then you walk away and their smell is still on you. Now, don't let it be a perfume you don't like. That happened to me last week. I hugged a lady and I didn't like her perfume. And man, I carried that woman with me all day long, man. But that's how it is with the Shekinah glory of God when you hug on them. His aroma just rubs off on you. And people will say, you've been with the Lord. You've been in his presence. I can smell him on you. You look different. You talk differently. You act differently. It's not me. I've been in his presence because there's no way I can stay in his presence and remain the same, which is why the flesh doesn't want to get in the presence of God because the flesh don't want to submit to the spirit. So there's a war. There's a war. Prayer is not a work of the church. Prayer is the work of the church. Prayer reminds a man that he is not the man. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Pastor, Mother's Day, y'all be up here just, you know, making the ladies feel. Then on Father's Day, we get challenged. Well, that's just how it is. I'm sorry. That's, That's just how it is, man. Prayer reminds me that I'm not the man but I know the man. That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy 2.8, I want men everywhere to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath or disputing. If you can get a man to humble himself and lift his hands up to God, reminding him that he is not on the throne, but God is on the throne, that a man can humble himself at the risk of even looking vulnerable. God can do something through a broken man, a dependent man, a praying man. Oh, my. Because when men pray, God answers prayer. When Abraham prayed for a son, God answered with Isaac. When Isaac prayed for Rebekah, God answered with Jacob. When Jacob prayed for deliverance, God answered by changing his name to Israel. When Joseph prayed, God answered by making him second in command to Pharaoh. When Moses prayed, God answered by parting the sea. When David prayed, God answered and David was able to kill Goliath. When Elijah prayed, God answered by sending rain. When King Jehoshaphat prayed, God answered by defeating the Ammonites. When King Hezekiah prayed, God answered by defeating the Assyrians. When King Josiah prayed, God answered by sending revival. When Nehemiah prayed, God answered by building the walls. It's a powerful thing when men pray brothers how's your prayer life are you talking with the master my father gave me many things I had a good father but the greatest thing my father gave me were his prayers I remember my father's prayers and although he has passed away prayers as one musician says have no expiration date I'm still walking in prayers that my daddy prayed for me. You know how the song goes. My father prayed for me, had me on his mind. He took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad Harold E. Williamson prayed because God heard Harold and that's one of the reasons I was able to make it through high school without major incidents. That's why I was able to make it into college and get my school bill paid. That's why in college I met this beautiful lady here. That's why that man came to this church on our first service and prayed a commissioning prayer over me and I'm still walking in the prayers of my daddy. He went home to be with the Lord in 2000 and even now I'm surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The greatest thing my father ever did for me was pray for me and Jesus said that men should pray and keep on praying look at Luke 18 verse 1 oh yeah here we go buckle up then he spoke a parable which again is a simple story with a central meaning He spoke a parable to them, to who the disciples, after he had just talked to them about the end times and how hard it's going to be. And he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray in the present active, continuous, indicative tense, that men always ought to keep on praying and not lose heart. One version says that men should always pray and not faint. Or in other words, give up, because if you pray, you won't lose heart. If you lose heart, you won't pray. Amen. Oh, so keep on praying and you won't lose heart. Right. To be inclusive, inclusive in a male-dominant society. Jesus said, I'm going to teach my boys about the persistence of prayer in the mean time by highlighting a woman who went through her own mean time because I talked about what happens when men pray, but you better watch out when the sisters pray. Have mercy, thank you Jesus. Somebody says, oh I know the second verse of that song, and sometimes we make the second verse the first verse, my mama prayed for me. <laughs> thank God for praying mothers. And so Jesus says, let me show you boys what persistence in prayer during a hard time looks like. So the first character we're going to see is a judge in this story. Look at verse two. Jesus said, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. So let's look at our first character here, this judge. And we see number one, he worked in a certain city. And so when Jesus tells these parables, he says a certain city because this could also mean your city or my city. Uh, this word is timeless. And so we can insert our city there. Certain judged worked in Nashville. And so he worked in a certain city. Secondly, we learn about this judge. He did not fear God nor regard man. So this is Jesus's way of saying the dude who held this judge position or this uh, office was a pagan, an unbeliever. He was ungodly. He didn't fear God he didn't have a relationship with God and he had no regard for people he didn't respect people because he didn't respect God he just had a good job being a judge but he was not a God fearing man and he did not regard men in other words he didn't treat men he didn't treat women with civility he didn't treat people with personhood and with dignity he was arrogant He was lifted up. He was prideful and he thought everyone was beneath him. He thought that judge for him was spelled with a capital J. But no, it was not. He's still lowercase J, lowercase judge. But thirdly, we see that this judge was unjust. Look at verse six where Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge said. So he was unjust. Or he, was, he operated without scruples and without morals. He was an evil man. He was unjust serving in a position that was supposed to be full of justice. But instead he was unjust because Jesus said so. But not only did Jesus call him unjust, the man even said in verse Uh, 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 for he says man I'm unjust I, I, I don't fear God and I don't have regard for man he knew what he was he was a judge so according to Jesus according to Jesus judges can be unjust these are the parts of the Bible we don't always get into we read right over But according to Jesus, judges can be unjust then and even now. Jesus did not believe in the inherent goodness of the legal system. Are you still with me? I'm only in the book. Jesus did not believe in the inherent goodness of the legal system. He was too wise for that because he came into the world to save the world from sin. Because when you have fallen people, fallen people sit in authority over fallen systems. And so there are fallen systems here. And Jesus was not so spiritual. He didn't believe that fallen systems existed. Matter of fact, he knows that in a short time, he himself will be the victim of an unjust legal system. When he will be falsely tried, convicted, and given the death penalty all on the same day all of it will be unjust. But God had a purpose, of course. God had a plan, of course. But Jesus submitted to a criminal justice system that was more criminal and unjust than it was just. So when he told his sermons and gave his parables, he knew that he probably wouldn't be popular with some politically minded people depending upon which persuasion. But he had to tell the truth anyway. Because if there were unjust judges, then there are unjust judges now. If there are unjust judges, there can also be unjust lawyers. DAs and public defendants. If there are unjust lawyers, there can also be unjust officers. So if you don't have a a trust in a a legal system that is inherently good from the judge, then that also means people who work for the judge, like officers, that you're not wrong to not believe that this system has corruption in it. You see, not all judges, lawyers, and officers are unjust. Don't walk out of here hearing that. But again, we're not going to be so with the rose-colored lenses that we don't think that it doesn't exist. No, it, it, it exists. I would like to believe that there are more just officials than unjust ones. But the unjust ones make it harder for the just ones. The bad judges make it hard for the good judges. The bad lawyers make it hard for the good lawyers. And the bad officers make it hard for the good officers. Because in every profession, There are unjust people, unjust people in the banking system, unjust people in politics and in the halls of Congress, unjust people at Walmart. Yes, they are. You know they're there. (laughs) (laughs) Unjust people in pulpits, in every profession. They're crooked preachers. And people in pulpits that make you wonder if they've ever been pulled out of the pit. Rather than feeding the sheep, they're fleecing the sheep. And I know some people, because they've been hurt by pastors or priests, they will never put their feet back in a church again because of how they were hurt by people who were supposed to watch out for them. And that distrust is real and it can only be broken over time and by meeting other people of the cloth who are sincere and true. We were with someone last night. My wife and I were ministering to haven't been to church in 10 years because of something that a priest did. So if people don't trust pastors. Why are we surprised when people don't trust police? If police misuse their power and authority, because again, all of them are not inherently good. Right. Some people, especially underserved, poor, marginalized, people without power, people without, with less voice than others, yeah. they don't always trust the police. And it amazes me where people who grew up with all good interactions with police yeah. can't understand why some people don't trust the police like they trust the police. No, right. But again, it's in every profession. There are some people that don't trust teachers because of what a teacher did, what a teacher said. Amen. So we all have to work through those things in order to function in society. I'm just here to say that it's real. Right. Right. But thank God for the police officers who protected the congressman last week. Yeah. When some deranged, terroristic gunmen shot at these Republican men and women. Thank God for those Capitol Hill officers who were able to shut that situation down to save lives. Thank God for my friend, Commander John Drake of the Central Precinct here in Nashville, who will become the Strong Tower real soon. Thank God for the nearly 50 cadets that I spent time with last Monday, who are being trained and being taught on matters of sensitivity from various communities in our city so that they can police well. But the first character is an unjust judge. Jesus said it, I didn't. The second character is a widow. Look at verse three. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me, from my adversary and he would not, for what? But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. So let's learn about this widow. Number one, she was the wrong gender for that culture. She was a woman and many of the Jews relegated women to the place of cattle. So when they would quote the law of Moses about not coveting what your neighbor has, they would put a man's wife on the same level of an ox, not to cover someone's animals or his wife. So women were not treated with the most dignity in that day, but thank God that Jesus entered into that culture in order to produce change bit by bit so she was the wrong gender and she had the wrong social status as a widow. Widows were often overlooked in society and the way that you showed your love for God was how you cared for widows, how you took care of orphans. And so widows, they were on the lower rung of the social ladder in that day and in that time. Thirdly, Not only was she the wrong gender and the wrong social status, implying that she doesn't have as much resource, but it doesn't say if she was the wrong color or not. You can be the wrong color in certain situations. Okay, y'all getting quiet on me, but I'm going to keep preaching. It doesn't say if she was the wrong color or not, but she was definitely in the wrong situation. She needed justice from her adversary. Jesus doesn't tell us who her adversary was or what he did. But we do know she took her issue to the courts. She went to the church with the issue, but the church spiritualized it and said, just wait for men's hearts to change. She said, if I wait for men's hearts to change, I'm going to be waiting for a long time. I got to go somewhere that they can possibly change some laws while I wait on men's hearts to change. So she took it to the courts. She decided to trust the courts to resolve her conflict. And perhaps her injustice was seeing her husband get brutally killed on the streets of Jerusalem, and the perpetrator was not charged. And we don't know why she's a widow, but she doesn't have a husband. But what if, using our sanctified imagination, her husband was brutally killed? And the perpetrator was not charged. And if you call yourself a Christian and your heart doesn't go out to a widow seeking justice, even if it's something where she's being overcharged, things that other people get charged this rate, but she's being charged a higher rate. She's being oppressed. She's being taken advantage of. And when we find out these things that happen to our widows, they don't need a lecture. They need love. They don't need hypothetical scenarios. No, they need love and they need support. They need action because James 1:27 says, pure religion and undefiled before the father is this, that we look after widows and orphans in their distress. So if you're a real believer, you're going to care about widows, just like the first church did. And just like we should do if we have widows in our family. As a matter of fact, if we don't take care of widows, Paul went on record as saying, if you don't take care of widows and people who are in your family, you are worse than an unbeliever. Because the heart of God is to care for the defenseless, the hurting, the needy. Martin Luther King, the one we love to quote when it's time to talk about I have a dream. This brother also said the hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain neutral in times of great moral conflict. I'm not angry. I'm passionate. I'm broken. I have the gift of prophecy. And sometimes I have to say things that make people uncomfortable. So when I see this widow in Luke 18 pleading for justice from the courts, I can't help but see Eric Garner's widow, Esau Snipes, after her husband was choked to death on the streets of Staten Island, New York. I can't help but see Sandra Bland's mother, Geneva Reed Veal, after her daughter was put in jail for a lane change and and died under mysterious circumstances. When I see this widow, I can't help but think of Tamir Rice's mother, Samaria Rice, after her son was just playing in the park like children do, and he had a gun like most, a play gun like most children have. And when those cops pulled up, they took two seconds to execute that young man. I remember her tears. I remember Michael Brown's mother, Leslie McSpadden. Trayvon Martin's mother, Sabrina Fulton. Jordan Edwards' mother, Charmaine Edwards, and yes, Philando Castile's mother, Valerie Castile. As the verdict came out this week that the police officer who shot him at a stop, a traffic stop, would not face any repercussions. Now, these are not tragedies that involve crimes punishable by death. No one should die for a traffic a taillight. No one should die from playing in the park. But these are tragedies that involved poor policing. And I love the police, but I also know that they're fallen people and fallen systems. And reform needs to take place. And before you deflect and say, reform needs to happen in the black community, that's a whole nother conversation. That's how you know you're getting to people when you get to them and they're like, well, what about this? No, no, what about what we're talking about? Let's deal with this first. I don't want to see another black woman weeping on television over the death of her husband, son, father, or brother. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah Lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Jeremiah prophesied it and it occurred when Jesus was an infant, when Herod killed all the children, trying the boys to get to Jesus. And mothers had their children killed, butchered, slaughtered by a corrupt governmental system. And those Jewish mothers, somebody probably came by and said, you know what, uh, y'all don't need to be crying over this. Have faith in God and, and make sure you tell your kids. They may not have been, you know, snatched by Herod if they would have dressed and not worn a hoodie or something. Uh, you know, just get over it. You know, it happened back in my family tree, hundred years ago or so. Some hard happened to, just, you know. But I thought we were supposed to weep with those who weep. And mourn with those who mourn. Amen. People don't need a sermon, especially coming from way out left field somewhere. They need to know that you have compassion. Yeah. Yeah. So these Jewish moms were crying because their children were taken from them by the system. All right. So if it's okay for Jewish mothers to weep, yeah. I think it's all right for black mothers to weep. But what I don't like is when the media... And even certain segments of the church look down on these women and want to talk about the past that their son did. You know, uh, he once went to jail. You know, he got pulled over multiple times. As if those things justify him being killed in the street by the police. And if we're going to dig up people's past. It's only because of mercy that we didn't get found out or killed ourselves. Because there's no one perfect amongst us. But when this stuff happens, here comes the smear campaign on these young men. But I got to close. Look at Luke 18, verses 4 through 5. This judge would not for a while. What would he not do for a while? Give justice to this woman from her adversary. He he, he wouldn't use the power that he had to help the powerless. And so for an unspecified period of time, he didn't help her. And the reason why he didn't help her was because he didn't fear God and he didn't regard man. The only thing worse than a judge who doesn't fear God nor regard man is a judge who professes to fear God but shows partiality towards certain men. You do know that during the days of segregation and legalized Jim Crow that a lot of the people who were supporting it were deacons and pastors in churches. That's why the letter from a Birmingham jail was so stinging, because Dr. King was like, I can deal with a racist that doesn't know God. (laughs) But a racist that knows God? How do you deal with that? Because if we respect God, it will show up in how we treat people made in his image. You may not vote like them and they may not vote like you. They may be of a different uh, uh, sexual orientation than you, but they're still made in the image of God. And Jesus says, love your neighbor, even if your neighbor is different from you. Because what's going to win people at the end of the day? It's going to be love, not law. Rule of law, rule of law, rule of love, rule of love. There's a place for government. And we pray for righteousness in government. But man, the scales have been tilted and out of balance for a long time in this nation. And if we think having a black president all of a sudden made him tilt it right back up again, you are sadly mistaken. And we're going to find out how things change. How do they change? Oh, you got to stay with me. The judge decided to get justice for the widow only because she troubled him with her continual coming. The word troubled means to bother. She kept bothering him because she kept coming. She was there Monday. She was there Tuesday. She was there Wednesday. She was there Thursday. She was there Friday. Get justice for me. Get justice for me. Get justice for me. Get justice for me. And the word troubled means that he was bothered, vexed, and agitated. In other words, she got on his last nerve. Because MLK also said in that letter from a Birmingham jail, freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Slow down, Martin Luther King. Slow down. You're asking for too much too fast. But why should I have to ask for human rights when God was the one who gave me those rights, not you? And who are you to determine when I get what I get? The fact that you're trying to siphon it out to me slowly says the problem that's present in the system. Pastor, that was 1960. Man, that stuff still happens today. Continual coming means to keep coming, to keep preaching. Oh, I don't want to hear this. You're going to hear it. To keep teaching, to keep writing. Mona, you keep teaching at Belmont. You teach those students who come to you and you teach them about social justice. Strong tower. We've been put down by people who don't even understand our mission and our vision. We deal with diversity. Man, a church that is diverse, that doesn't deal with social issues, that don't work. This is what God has given us. I really believe he's given it to the old church because he's given us his word and his kingdom to deal with this stuff. But because the church is silent, the world doesn't have a witness. And when we do speak up, we don't know what we're saying and the life that we're living so contradicts the Christ that we say we know. The world says, y'all lost y'all saltiness on this racial stuff. The Southern Baptists last week got to sit and vote and debate on whether they should denounce white nationalism and the alt-right. Robert rules of order had to prevail over what the Spirit of God was trying to do to stamp out. Injustice. They eventually got there, praise God. But this comes from the denomination founded on slavery, founded on segregation, who wrote a letter in 1995 saying that they repent. Oh, man. A letter. And we wonder why the world mocks us. Jesus' conclusion. That woman got what she needed because she kept coming. Jesus says, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Pastor, what's going on? Well, for God to avenge his own elect, that must mean that his elect will undergo various forms of injustice. Sometimes. Just because you're elect, that doesn't mean you won't go through injustice. Being a Christian doesn't make us immune from suffering in this mean time. Jesus says that when the elect of God experience injustices in life and even in the court system, they are to cry out to Him day and night. They are to be persistent in prayer. And God says that he will provide vengeance. Vengeance means that God will repay the perpetrators either in this life or the one to come or both. Sometimes God is long suffering so that the perpetrators have time to repent because God is merciful and he wants all of us to repent. So while you're waiting for justice to happen now, God is waiting for that perpetrator's heart to change. So you be patient. You hang on. You trust God, the ultimate judge. And sometimes when God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, it's not so much about asking God to pay a hardship on your perpetrators. No, Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to pray for them that God will bless them. But sometimes when God repays, it's not so much judgment on those people, but he'll repay blessings on you to help you get through what you went through what you gave up he'll give back as one person said he'll give you double for your trouble that's what he did for the for Job but when Jesus comes back will he find the kind of faith on the earth that he finds in this woman who kept coming who kept coming who kept praying and eventually got what she needed in a tough time and Christ wants to know before he comes back and the heat is turned up will the church keep praying And seeking and beseeching the Lord? Or will we abandon ship and say God is not there, God does not care, God does not know, God is not just? No, no, we are not those who fall away. We are those who press in. So whether you're going through a mean time in the courts or in your own life, no matter what you're going through, don't give up on praying. Keep praying and let us remember these people around the country who are having to celebrate Father's Day i thinking of Philando Castile's fiance whose four year old daughter was in the back seat when he was shot and what today means for their family after the verdict came out this past week what's Father's Day like for them today Father God, we, uh, we just thank you that in this life you told us we're going to have tribulation but we can be a good chair because you've overcome. Thank you for just judges, just lawyers, just jurors, just officers, people who believe in equality and justice for all. Lord, may we never be so naive as to think that everyone in the legal system is just. But no matter what happens, may we have the kind of faith to press on and to know that you're in control when things are out of control and things feel bad. Lord, I don't know what to say to my son now. I can tell them to obey all the rules, but that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything for me. Because people are afraid now. People are dying on the streets. May we never stop being salt and light. May we never stop speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves. Guard our church from division politically. Guard us from division racially. If we feel irritated, May we do our best to put ourselves into the feet and shoes of someone else. Help us to understand before we seek to be understood. Help us to be slow to speak, slow to anger and quick to listen. Thank you that you didn't call this church just to blend on Sundays, but you called us to help change the community there's a mantle on us but there's also a target on our back we pray lord god that you strengthen us for what you've called us to do and be about we love you and we thank you in jesus name amen